Hello. Hi. How's it going? Uh, pretty good, actually. Not gonna lie. It's been a wild week, but we're doing good. That's great. Hello, everyone. Welcome to It's Not an Allegory. I'm P- Aaron. And I'm Pam. <laughs> I almost said I'm Pam. Man, this Pam. is a problem. You're doing great. Starting Katie. off real well. <laughs> I'm gonna apologize to everyone. I sound a little froggy and a little sniffly. It's because I have a cold. Just, just the, the regular... We are sitting, like, six feet apart, just so everybody knows. We're being very responsible with very this. Very responsible. But, yes, I get a cold every month or so, it At seems. Least. Honestly, and it lasts the whole month, Honestly, too. I just have a permanent cold. And any time the weather dips a little bit, suddenly... Actually, any time it changes. Mm-hmm. Every time the weather changes, I get a cold. I so. normally do, too, but this is the first year ever. Shout out to COVID for... All the extra health precautions, because this is the healthiest I've ever been in my life. See, and, and nothing has changed for me, <laughs> so now I've just, I just look evil, because it's like, you're sniffling, you're coughing, ah! Yeah, that's... Yep, that's accurate. Yep, that's, that's exactly it. what I think every time I see you, you know. Yes, you should. Yeah. Anyway, good morning, or afternoon, <laughs> evening, I don't know where you are when you're listening to this, but... Welcome to our third podcast of It's Not an Allegory, because it's not an allegory. It's life. <laughs> I'm so hyped to say that. This this buzz is not dying for this podcast. Anyway, as usual, we start out with the coffee. The coffee. So, Pam, what am I drinking? Pam you, made the coffee this I morning. I did make the coffee this morning. Um, We are drinking a Brazil kind of coffee. I can't remember the name. It's long and it's Spanish. Travis Johnson roasted it. Would you look at that? It's like we only buy from the same person. <laughs> Shout out to Travis. Woo-hoo. Not a sponsor. Yet. yet. <laughs> um, yeah, and I don't know, I made it with Chemex, <laughs> as usual, because I'm a snob. Explain the Chemex again for those who maybe didn't hear Um. So, episode. it's... Apparently, a very extra hipster way to make par over coffee. Oh, it is. With a specific filter, and I have the specific pot. Um, and it's the, like a glass <clears throat> pot that, yeah. like, it's all connected. And it, it looks like an hourglass. It does look kind of like an hourglass, but it's a funnel on mm-hmm. top. Yeah, and it's yeah. real extra. It's real extra. It makes me feel cool. And the filter is made with a heavier paper, so it makes the pour over a lot cleaner because it takes the water, uh, the coffee, a lot longer to go through it. So yeah, it saturates it longer. It saturates it longer. Yeah. It's very pure. You don't get coffee grounds or the this is silt. real smooth. This is going to be going yeah, so fast. I know, right? Anyway, so Erin. Coffee question of the day, and I didn't warn her about this beforehand because I know she's going to like this question. I'm so excited. And I wanted it to just be genuine. You were just buzzing last night while we were planning this because you're like, you're going to love this question so much, but I'm not going to tell you. And then she kept saying that. Like, why would you keep telling me I'm going to love a question and then not tell me? That's just rude. It builds anticipation, <laughs> and I'm not a nice person. I'm just Erin. What is the story behind your mug that you brought today? You knew I would bring this mug. I kind of figured. She told me to grab my favorite mug, and I didn't even question it. Okay, so I have to describe it first. It is a hand-thrown piece of pottery that my mentee's mother made for me. And it is white glaze. With a brown, but the the pottery underneath is brown, and in the negative space, like so, in brown pottery, there is a lamp post in a snowy wood, 
which if any of you have watched or preferably read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know that that is a reference to the Chronicles of Narnia and Lantern Waste is the forest. And I love Chronicles of Narnia so much. I When I just like sketch in my books, I'll often draw lampposts because I love lampposts purely because C.S. Lewis, in being spiteful as all can be, told Professor, well, Professor J.R.R. Tolkien, his friend, told him that no one could put uh, a lamppost in a fantasy novel, I believe is what he had yes, said. Yes, he did. And so Lewis decided that he would just put a lamppost in Watch it. me. Watch me, was what he said. <laughs> and then it became so just iconic of Chronicles of Narnia is this lamppost in the middle of a wood and, like, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe is just this mysterious lamppost. No one knows why it's there. But then when you watch Magician's Nephew, it becomes this, like, really cool symbol. And actually, I was just thinking about this line from Magician's Nephew, like, for the past three days. It keeps coming up in class in my brain. Well, something will come up in class and it will make me think of it. Is in the Magician's Nephew, Aslan, like, or the emperor from over the sea, is singing this song and calling all of creation into life, which is... Beautiful picture of how God created, by the way. So beautiful. And this, the lamp, the bar from the lamp post that is thrown at him to try and kill him, it falls on the ground and it grows into a fully formed lamp post with flame and everything. And Aslan explains later, this ground is bursting with life because the song with which I called it into being still hangs in the air and rumbles in the ground. And I love that so much. <laughs> that is just poetry right there. So there's a really long explanation for why I love this mug that has a lamppost in a snowy wood. It also fits my hand perfectly. Yep. And everything about it is just glorious. So thank you, Trinity's mom. I cannot remember your name at the moment. I feel like a jerk. But... All right, Pam, my question for you, and she's so mad at me for asking oh, no. this question. So, Pam, and you have to answer truthfully because you're a Christian and you love Jesus and he tells us not to lie. What is your dream cup of coffee? Now, some of you might be thinking, how on earth could this question bring Pam so much agony? Oh, and you're about to find out why. <laughs> What's your dream cup of coffee, Pam? Okay, so... First off, it's going to sound absolutely nasty, but it's not, because it goes through extreme <laughs> process. I hate you right now. <laughs> um, it's called Black Ivory Coffee. I should really just leave it at that. If nope, you, you can't leave it at that. What's Black Ivory Coffee, Pam? It's, it funds an elephant rehab center in Thailand for abused elephants Ooh, good from cause. Hindu temples. Um... And what does that have to do with coffee? <laughs> she's being, she's dripping with sarcasm and absolutely beaming right now at how uncomfortable I am. Okay, so I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Kobe Luwak. Um, I have. Yeah, I know you have. <laughs> I have some actually. <laughs> Me too. Um, it's another form of weird coffee. Um, and this guy that my dad knows or knows somebody who knows my dad was drinking a cup of Kopi Luwak one day and decided he was going to take the process and change it to incorporate elephants. Okay, but you still haven't explained the process, Pam. What's the process? I'm, I'm lost. It's basically... 
Certain animals are not capable of digesting coffee pits. A coffee bean is actually not a bean, it's a cherry pit. Fun fact, if you didn't know. Anyway, certain animals are not capable of digesting it. So, if they eat the coffee bean, the chemicals in their stomach change the enzymes in the coffee, um, and then... Nature takes, a co- takes its course, and I'm it's a refining turning, process. Yes, it's a refining process. He's and turning so red. <laughs> yeah, things happen. <laughs> anyway. And anyway, so these elephants. So these elephants are very picky about what they eat. Um, and so the enzymes in their cough- stomach are different than normal creatures, I guess. I really don't understand what I'm talking about. Anyway, people go through the fecal matter. <laughs> I hate that I should <laughs> the back. Excrement. I don't want to put this on the internet. <laughs> Why are you like this? I hate you. Oh. Um, and they clean it and sanitize it a lot, and it changes the coffee Mat- like, I don't know what it does, but... The makeup of the coffee kind and of And chemically so it, changes the coffee bean. I've heard it's the greatest yeah. coffee you can drink. It's, I ha- it I, costs, I, like, hundred, <laughs> hundreds of dollars a cup. If you want to brew it yourself, you have to take a course and buy specific coffee equipment, equipment yeah. for it. And you only get one cup out of it. After that, your coffee pot just sits there, and you, you can use it, I guess. But that's what it's for. Um... And yeah, it's a very intense process. Mm-hmm. It sounds really nasty. It's completely sanitary, y'all. It's <laughs> see, and I don't judge this process at all. Honestly, that's probably my dream cup of coffee as it's... well is to drink that. Black but Ivory. I knew that if I asked yeah. the question, "What's your dream cup of coffee?" Pam could say something like, "I don't know." You would ask me a similar question of, mm-hmm. "What's your ideal cup of coffee?" Mm-hmm. And I gave you a scenario in which I enjoyed a cup of coffee. No. But I knew Pam wouldn't do that. Elephant poop coffee. That's what I want. And that's what she wants. I mean, so, it sounds... You're welcome to have been blessed by that interaction. That really frantically embarrassed Pam. Oh, no. It supports a good cause. It's mm-hmm. cool. It sounds super bougie, honestly. Oh, you, like, mm-hmm. you have to be rich in order to do that. I'm not rich. Or She's not marrying rich either. I'm not marrying rich, so <laughs> this is where I'm at. You know, maybe one day maybe I'll... Maybe I'll marry rich and yeah. we'll We we'll can go, go to that. Thailand. Sweet. I'm pretty sure you have to go to Thailand to get it. I'm pretty sure. So yeah. let's do it. It's planned. And then we can save some elephants. Sounds good. I see no downside. I, it's a plan now. Yep. Yep. Please don't hold this over my head if you hear it and see me in the future. Because, yeah, I promise I'm not insane. No, please make fun of her every single time you see her now. She would love that. <laughs> Moving on, because I'm so annoyed with you right now. Um, Aaron, we normally follow this up with a question about books. So, what is a book that you most want to read? At the moment. At the moment. Oh, yeah, because that changes on a... Yes, it does. Weekly, monthly, something basis like that. It does. Oh, that's so hard, because, like, during class... Teachers will suggest books, and they're like, you should read this book. And every single time I write that down, because I trust my teachers to give me mm-hmm. good books. Um, oh, shoot. I have my list on my phone here of, like, dozens of books that I want to read. Mm-hmm. I think at the moment, the one I really want to read, I guess it's not one book, it's three, but The Divine Comedy is, yeah. is up there. 
I and think I asked for that for Christmas. I'm not yeah, going to lie. My sister owns it, and I might ask to borrow it at some point. Probably not while I'm in Bible college, because I don't have time to no, read I anything. Brought books. <laughs> I brought books to read for myself. Yeah, I did. I brought, I brought two novels, because I knew, okay, I'm going to be reading my school books most of the time. And I've maybe read a chapter. Mm-hmm. I've been reading Little Dorrit by Charles Dickens. I got on a really... I got on a Dickens kick this summer. I noticed that. Yeah, and I I really love Dickens, and he's brilliant. But yeah, the Divine Comedy. The Divine Comedy. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's like Dante's Inferno. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, everyone's heard of Dante's Inferno. So, yeah. All right, Pam. You know what? Book you really want to read right I now? I put two books down, and then I just thought about it, <laughs> and I realized it changed in the last nine hours. Brilliant. Um, so here I have written down two books I started, uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, and The Iliad, um, which Iliad. I do want to finish. I've started both of them, but, um, my dad has a book on his shelf called Death by Love by Mark, Mark Driscoll. Ooh, Say Mark what Driscoll. you want about Mark Driscoll. I actually really like his works. Um, I, his doctrine book was one of the first doctrine books I read, um, <laughs> When That's I so exciting, Christian. your first doctrine book. Yeah, I know. We're, we're <laughs> such nerds. Um, and it was just such a good, well-written book. Um, and then, yeah, so my dad has a book by him called Death by Love, and it's the response to Rob Bell's book. Um, what's that book? He, um, I don't know. Oh. Yeah, no, his first big book that everybody labeled him as a heretic for. Um, I don't remember what it was called. Yeah. I just hear Rob Bell and cringe, so I don't really yeah. pay attention after that. Um, uh, <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. That shows you how much I really care about Rob Bell and his works, mm-hmm. obviously. That's a whole nother rant for a that's different time, though. That's a whole nother rant. I have honestly punched kind of Aaron in became, the shoulder. That's kind of how we that. became friends. It is how we became friends. We became friends after I showed you the Rob Bell video, yeah. and we argued, ranted about you it. Sat in my, you asked me to braid your hair. Yeah. And so you sat in my room and we watched a Rob Bell video while I braided your hair. And it was the most we aggressive braid I've ever so had. So angry. Uh-huh. So angry. And we did that for fun. And then we're like, let's keep doing let's that. Let's keep doing it. So we kept watching Rob <laughs> and Bell. And here we are. We, yeah. How to make each other angry. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. That, that's so happy to me, but so sad. That's we became friends because over of this. Rob Bell. Anyways. So, yes, anyway. Let's move on from there. Yeah. So the topic, <clears throat> the book's about... Um, Basically, a response. Rob Bell wrote that a loving God basically couldn't send people to hell. Mm-hmm. And so R- Mark Driscoll wrote Death by Love as a response to that, saying that he loved us so much that he sent his son to die. Yeah, so that we can have life. So that we can have life. Yeah. Basically, Mark Driscoll responded with the gospel because that's what Rob Bell Needs. was counter- contradicting. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. So this has been a wild ride. Mm-hmm. Um, so we haven't asked this question yet in this podcast, but it's something we talked about wanting to talk about just because we're verbal processors. Wow. We talked about wanting to talk about. That was a sentence. Um, what is something that you learned this week? In anything. It could have been class. It could have been just in passing. Mm. I really wanted to find just, like, a random fact that I learned this week. <laughs> but uh, this week is kind of serious. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm not going to disconnect what I learned in class and what I learned outside of that, because I think there was a huge connection. Um, 
for my church history paper, I wrote on St. Patrick. And I absolutely love St. Patrick now because he was brilliant. I want to be like him. He was spiteful and petty and loved Jesus. Exactly. Everything I want to be defined as. (laughs) I could tell so many stories, but we don't really have time. But essentially, I'll just say Patrick had a heart on fire for God. Mm -hmm. And he, when he was a boy, it's kind of, there's some discrepancy on how old he was, but 10 to 14, he was like a brat. He did not love Jesus. Both of his parents were godly people. His dad was an elder in his church. His mother was a godly, devout woman, and he just could not figure out why he was evil. Like, he wanted to do what was right, but he just didn't have the capability to do it. And that's basically what he wrote in his confessions towards the end of his life was, he's just like, I just didn't know why I couldn't be good. I wanted to be good, but I couldn't. And then uh, Irish raiders came and took him away from his home, burned his village down, and he was made a slave in Ireland. He was English, by the way. He wasn't Irish, for anyone who doesn't know. I know he's the Irish patron saint. But, um, yeah, he and when he was a slave, he was put in charge of all these flocks and just spent all day by himself. And Jesus became his only reality. And he prayed constantly. He was just constantly talking to God. And he kind of, I'm sure he kind of saw the the parallel that he's like, like a young David kind of thing, just out in the field with, mm-hmm. with sheep. And it was just so spiritual for him. Like he could, he could con- commune with, with his heavenly father, even though he was far from his earthly father. And I just love that idea, <clears throat> excuse me, of just Jesus being my only reality. And I, I, I hope and pray that my whole life doesn't get stripped away like that. That's a travesty. Mm-hmm. It was so hard. It was such an injustice done to him. But yeah, for Jesus to be my only reality, I would have no problems after that, wouldn't I? Like, or nothing would, any problems that arise just wouldn't be problems because mm-hmm. Jesus would be the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, as well, in historical books class, we wrote a devotional and I wrote on compassion because of last last week, not week, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah, that podcast, I, I wrote on that because it was in my brain and I was like, compassion, yes, the compassion of God from David's kindness to Mephibosheth in 2 Kings chapter 9. And it's just a beautiful picture of the way the Lord has mm-hmm. compassion because he is just and he is just because he is compassionate. And so that's really been speaking to my heart throughout the past few days. It's been a bit of a week. I've been, I want to say I'm a bit, I, I almost said I was a bit of a mess, but who am I talking to? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, just dealing with stuff. I don't mm. even know where to go with that. <laughs> I honestly don't know how to, how to describe it. Yeah. Just, I don't know. Life can be rough sometimes. It can be. But it's so easy to get self-absorbed and I don't want to do that. That's not the way to deal with, mm. with being sad about anything. And so... Um, yeah, reading about Patrick has been like, oh yeah, you know what? I might be sad and that's, that's valid. That's, that's fair. And for good reason, I think, I don't know. I'm always justified in my own brain, aren't I? But that doesn't stop me from caring for others because if Jesus is my only reality, he's the one who gives me strength. And he was the one who, when he wanted to be alone and go and pray and the crowds followed him, he didn't turn them away. He didn't retreat further into the mountains he stopped and he healed them and he ministered to them. So if I want to be like Jesus, though I want to be alone, been on this campus for a long time, 
and I like my space. <laughs> I like being alone. It's really nice. And since I can't do that here, I have to trust in Jesus to be my strength because he gets it. He wanted to be alone and wasn't able to be because the ministry was the priority. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> That's like, great. Like Pam's look on. You always look so happy when I talk about that. Anyways, so Pam, what have you been learning this week? Wow, mine is a lot more succinct. More succinct. Uh, no. No. Um, <laughs> mine's a very different kind of abstract and all over the place. I also wrote papers this week. It's been a week. Oh, man. The things that have happened and the things I have read this week. Oh, so I wrote... A paper on eternity last weekend, a nice light topic, as one does, very abstract. It's hard to write a paper on what that looks like as a finite human. And then I was like, I'm going to write my next paper on something simple. Yeah. And writing about... She came up to me, she's like, I'm going to pick up a simple topic. I, yeah. I, I don't have the brain for this. I'm going to pick a nice, easy, light one. And what did you pick, Pam? <laughs> The seven deadly sins. Oh, well, one does. does. <laughs> that's one does. So I spent three days reading and writing about the seven deadly sins, Catherine Doctrine on mortal and venial sin, um, penance, purgatory, what condemns people to hell, what makes sins deadly. Um, it was a time. So did that, did that get into unforgivable sins? It did. It, yeah, it okay. It did. It was that's all fun. over the place. A nice um, light topic. Yes. I experienced things in my brain as I went. I was all over the place to begin with, and this was a heavy paper. There was many times I just kind of stopped reading and almost cried because it was just so intense. And I'm reading all these books about depravity and sin and a holy God, and I'm just kind of sitting there like, wow, know what I'm not? (laughs) Holy. <laughs> wow. And so, Go figure. Yeah, and it was crazy because, so the seven deadly sins, pride, sloth, er- anger, um, greed, greed, gluttony, lust. envy, lust. Mm-hmm. Like, these are, I was thinking about it as I was writing my paper and I expected it to be like, you'd think it was murder or adultery mm. or something like that. Mm. And... Those proceed from those. Yeah. Yeah. These seven sins are the root of them. If you want to go further, you can say that pride is the root of all of it because all of these stem out of pride. But basically, Mm -hmm. what I wrote in my paper, and I can't remember the exact wording, is thinking about is all these sins can be classified as man and man's desires as being elevated over God and God's sufficiency. Mm. Because mm. when you have God, understand God's sufficiency. <laughs> Which you can't. You can't understand his sufficiency. <laughs> but if you try. But yeah, when you're reflecting on God's sufficiency, you realize that he's provided everything you need. There's no need for envy or contempt over that. There's no need for wrath because you know that God is just and any injustice done towards you is going to be held accountable. Like, Mm. you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to be proud because if you really think about how sufficient God is and how much you're not, it's a very humbling 
topic. Mm -hmm. A very humbling topic. And I can go down the list. And then, like, one that really struck me is sloth. Because I always thought that was lazy. But I read a book called Hit List, um, Putting to Death the Seven Sins. I can't remember exactly what it's called or what it's by. But he defined it as sloth is apathy and sadness regarding life and what's around. Whoa. So suddenly it's not just being lazy. It's actually about not caring and not under not seeing the responsibility that is around you mm. and being apathetic to it. And, and laziness being, would yeah. kind of be a facet of that, but yeah. it's not the main thing. It's not the main Whoa. thing. And I just sat there like, well, oh man, mm. I struggle with that on a regular basis because yeah it's just something that due to just different aspects of life it's kind of a result of me being overwhelmed is it turns to apathy Hmm. real quick Mm -hmm. and so yeah it made me realize that God has a purpose for us here and to be apathetic is to sin against him and the purpose, we are made in God's image. We are supposed to work. We are supposed to reflect him in our work. And we're supposed to take responsibility and mm-hmm. enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is even something that's like before the fall. Yeah. Man was to work. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just lounging about the garden. No. Tending it. Yeah. Which, if you've ever tended a garden, I know you have. I have. I hate it. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Hate there's, gardens. <laughs> there's nothing to me more peaceful. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nothing oh makes goodness. me more mad. Oh, really? Okay. Because oh, I, I can't stand it. I love tending a garden because there's something so, I'm going to say spiritual again. I'm going to use that word you a lot today. You can use it. Yeah. Because it just connects me with all of the parables that Jesus told about gardens mm-hmm. and about Garden of Eden. And I'm just thinking like, yeah, this is good work. This is good, honest work. And I feel good about the work I'm doing. Tending plants. Okay, there's a little story from this week, actually, that kind of made me think about the same topic, is there was a poinsettia in the ch- in the dining hall that obviously had been forgotten because it was starting to droop and wilt. It was drying up. I picked it up and, like, I almost threw it because it was so light. Like, I didn't expect it to be that light. It had no water in it, and it made me so sad. I worked in a greenhouse this past summer, so now any dying plant just makes me sad. <laughs> so I I went, and I was like, I need water. I need water somewhere. So I went and grabbed water, and I watered it, and I gently picked off all of the leaves that were dry and dead. It's like, don't put energy into those ones anymore. The dead things will just strip them away. And I put it back, and then I came back the next day to check on it, and it had perked right up. And I trimmed off a few more leaves. I gave it some more water. I'm actually going to go water it as soon as we're done here because it needs more water again. But suddenly it was just brought back to life with just a little bit of care. And, like, even just everything about gardening is, like, there's so much allegory to it. There is very much allegory. So much. And it just makes my heart sing. And I love plants because of it. Nothing is as unsatisfying as pulling a weed and then coming back the next day. And there's another weed. Yeah, but isn't that us all the time? I mean, yes. Where but it's like the Lord mean... is like, okay, we're, we're going to get rid of this. That... And then I keep bringing it back and bringing it back and bringing it back just because the problem with sin is that I love it too much. And that's me. 
Oh, trust me, that frustrates me too. Does that it, frustrate you just yes. to have your sin just put yeah, in it front frustrates of you like that? Me. But no See, one else. So I love it. Week. I'm like, yes, it's, Jesus. It's so unsatisfying then, to we- garden. When you see it grow and when you can have a garden that turns out well and it's like, yes, the satisfaction. Like, this is a picture of how my creator feels about me. I also kill every plant I touch, including cacti. Well, that might so, mean that you have a problem. The that's pro- accurate. That's not the that's garden's a- fault. <laughs> well, it's it's going to be taken out on the garden. Anyway. Anyways. <laughs> so this is actually a decent segue. That is a great segue. <laughs> our next conversation. Which is why we love theology. <laughs> That's such a huge. I don't know question. if you picked up on this in the last couple podcasts, but <laughs> last <we>, five minutes, <laughs> last five minutes. But we love doctrine books. We love Jesus. We love studying theology, arguing about it sometimes because why, why not? Why not? Also, Aaron really loves throwing five point Calvinism in my face on a regular basis, <laughs> and it's only because I love tulips. I, I also love tulips, but yes, I she loves poking that bear and it's a good time. throwing questions in there and seeing how I respond because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm a five point Calvinist through and through, and I would be a tentative four point Calvinist. Tentative, probably. tentative. Yeah. I could throw, and I probably word. wouldn't call myself a Calvinist. I, yeah, I don't know, which is kind of fun. like I tease mm-hmm. tease my Calvinist friends. Which might make them think, oh, there's no way Aaron's a Calvinist then. <laughs> then I'm like, I am one of you. I just mock you regardless. Yeah, actually. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I try not to use the term Calvinist unless I'm around people that really know me. Mm-hmm. Just because it does have a lot of negative traits. But now yeah. it's on the internet, and obviously. I just, and so. obviously, like, if you know any of the history yeah. of Calvin, he, he gets a bad rap. Because he, he did make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. He was a replacement theologian. Mm-hmm. He did not like Jews. And yeah. we do not agree with that. We do not agree with that. But... The basically tulip, I agree with that. Yeah, pretty wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, you do. I I like to think that Romans class made me hold it with a little bit more of an open hand. It did, and I was really impressed by. You were impressed you. with that. I, but, I was really glad. I saw some growth. It but when it comes down to it, I still hold to those five. I, well, when Calvin wrote those five points, he was quite a young man. Like he mm-hmm. was in his mid twenties, and that was probably his harshest work. Yeah. And he, he, he softened a little bit later on, and then he got into some weird That's weirder why stuff. I like him so much. Yeah. So, I don't know. I've just seen a bit too much to be that harsh. Fair enough. I'm that harsh. But we can move on. Or that defined. That. Anyways, that's not what yeah. we wanted to talk about. But why, why, do, we why love do we love theology? theology? So, now we've read... This is going to get off track so fast, mm-hmm. if we let it. <laughs> so... Let's start with you. Let's start with me. Because I'm the one who has succinct points. Yeah. So I could say this in one sentence of why I love theology, mm-hmm. and I could leave it at that. You I'm can. not going to. Of course but not. Why do I love theology? Well, it's because I love Jesus and because he loved me. Yeah. Duh. Like, that's in simplest terms why I love theology. I'll get into a little more, I guess. So, good theology helps people. It does. I'm chuckling at that because... Uh, if you've listened to Cultish, if you haven't picked up that we both like Cultish, because this is now three episodes in a row that we have mentioned Cultish. That we've mentioned Cultish? That I've mentioned Cultish. That's what I thought. Uh, their kind of catchphrase, I guess, mm-hmm. is that bad theology hurts people, <clears throat> which is so true. And I'm going to take a little spin off of mm-hmm. that and say that good theology helps people. Mm-hmm. And I care about people. Yeah. So I know that good theology and even just like 
being an analytical mind and the logic behind God. Like, God is... What you can logic. What I can logic. Obviously, I can't logic everything about God because I just can't understand. But the lack of understanding and why I can't understand, I can approach with a logical Mm -hmm. perspective and I can analyze. It's like, oh, wow. Why can't I understand this? Well, it's because he's so big. Yeah. So let me analyze why he's how he's mm-hmm. so big and, and everything, every aspect about him that mm-hmm. I can learn. Um, I love learning. I love being a scholar. I've always loved learning. Mm-hmm. And so what better thing to learn about than the one who saved me? Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's getting, <laughs> that's going to get on a rabbit trail so fast. But we don't have time. We don't that. have time for that. I'm going to read a little excerpt from Mere Christianity by... C.S. Lewis. What a shock. He wrote this in Mere Christianity. Great book. Please read Mere Christianity. Mm -hmm. So good. Amen. Reality, in fact, is usually something you could not have guessed. That is one of the reasons I believe Christianity. It is a religion that you could not have guessed. If it offered us just the kind of universe we had always expected, I should feel we were making it up. But in fact, it is not the sort of thing anyone would have made up. It is just that queer twist about the, uh, about it. It is just that queer twist about it that real things have. So I guess he's kind of arguing for the reality behind God, but I really think that that's really cool because it's. I think every human has a desire to know things. We yeah. just want to know things. We are constantly learning. Some enjoy it more than others, but we are always learning about something, and we desire to know more about things. Because God is someone we can always know more about. Mm-hmm. We never come to the end of him. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's that innate desire in everyone. And as a Christian who knows that I have this desire, I just love studying about it. And it's just such a good thing to know the Lord. Like, the more yeah. I learn about him, it's just such, oh, it's such a blessing. And it's like, this is the God, the God of the universe. Which some would just say, oh, I concede that God made the universe, but he just left the world ticking on its own, and then he's left us. Mm-hmm. He's left us to our, ourselves. No, 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 no. Mm. The God of the universe made himself knowable. Yeah. Which is the thing that makes Christianity distinct from every other religion, is that he is knowable. And that is incredible. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I can know more about him because I have the blessing of having access to scripture. But even if you don't have access to scripture, you can still know about God because of creation. General revelation is such a cool idea. Like, the stars in the heavens proclaim his glory. Like, what? Like, they they, they tell his story. They talk about him. The song that called them into being still hangs in the air and rumbles in the ground. Full circle. <laughs> Look at us go. Full circle. Wow. Like, that's amazing. And that that is a picture of true, true love as he made himself knowable. Mm-hmm. And not just from general revelation, but through the life and death of Jesus Christ, he has made himself accessible. Mm-hmm. He humiliated himself to the point of death on a cross so that I could know him. Mm-hmm. So I could fear him and love him. Like, so... Can get on a really passionate rant if I don't stop right there. That is why I love theology. Go, Pam. Why do you love theology? <laughs> All right. So, um, I don't know if anybody's picked up on this, but Aaron is much more of an objective 
person, and I'm much more subjective. I base a lot of my opinions and ideas on... Thinker versus feeler. Yes, Boom. very much thinker mm-hmm. versus feeler. Shout out to Myers-Briggs for that <laughs> stupid that so test. Much. <laughs> That's another episode yeah. for another Why time. We Myers-Briggs. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I'm very much a feeler. I'm very much an experiential, or experiential mm-hmm. person. That's the word. Experiential. Um, there you go. Everything's pretty subjective in my mind, um, which Erin is shaking her head at. Because... It's not because she's wrong, it's just because I don't understand. Yeah. And so for me, um, again, why I love theology, because I really love Jesus, which, I don't know, at the bottom I wrote, and this was going to be my last point, but I'm going to say it first. I am very much, I'm an introvert, but I am a bit of a people person in that when I love a person, um, I love any of my friends, I love any of my family, just when I want to know a person, I want to know the intricacies of them. Mm. I want to know why they think they do. I want to know what makes them tick. I want to know what makes them laugh. I want to know what makes them cry. Mm. And so if I feel that much about the people I love, how could I not desire the same from a God who loves me infinitely more Ooh. and a God that I love more than anyone on this earth? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, theology helps me understand, try to understand <laughs> an infinite God. It's an attempt. It's an attempt. It's a feeble attempt, but it is my attempt to understand and know a mm-hmm. God who loves me so much. And, yeah, I just think that knowing God is an expression of us loving him. Mm-hmm. Like, when you love someone, mm-hmm. you want to get to know them. You want to talk to them. You want to grow with them. Mm-hmm. Or you want to grow as you know them. And so that's, that's, that's one of the reasons that I love theology. I love God and I want to know why he is the way he is. Mm. Um, yeah, another thing, it's a quote that my dad got from somewhere. He says it all the time and I think I butchered it and I didn't bother texting him and I should have just gotten it right and texted him. But it's good theology produces good doxology produces good methodology. Mm. Basically, basically, since that's a lot of long, three-syllable, four-syllable words. Ologies. Ologies. I don't know if anybody's picked up on this, but I'm incredibly pre- pretentious and I love long words. Um, <laughs> theology, the knowledge of God, produces good worship of God, which produces a good practice of living out a godly life and mm. affects how you live. Um, and yeah, that's just something that I've seen in my own life. Um, the more I know about God, the more I want to worship him, the more I'm in awe of him and what he's done. And then the more that happens, the more I want that to live out or be lived out in every aspect of my life, whether mm. it be with my friends, with my schoolwork, with how I attempt to have conversation with people, how I interact with the barista at the Starbucks that I can't go to anymore. <laughs> i I'm a little bit sad about that. I don't know if anybody's picked up on a lot that. Sad. I'm a white girl. I'm very sad about that. She I go to, I love Starbucks a lot. Um, but She's yeah, so sad. local is better. It is lo- better, but <laughs> it's what I got, man. So yeah, like I don't know. I feel like how I view God affects how I view people and how I interact with mm. people, how I love people. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm called to be like Christ, that should show up in every aspect of my life. Mm. And I'm a poor testimony, and I know that, of what that looks like. I am not 
godly in a lot of ways. I can see my sin over and over again, especially this week. This week was a kick in the butt. (laughs) I have never felt so... Exposed. Exposed for my sin Mm -hmm. as I did then, aside from when I became a Christian. I think that's like... It was almost like a kick right back to that. Like, oh my goodness, I am the opposite of a good Christian. Anyway, side rant. Um, Yeah, and then another reason is because it improves my understanding of salvation. Um, And just, especially grace. If you talk to me after 10 o'clock at night when I no longer can work on a paper, you would pick up really quick that one of my favorite things to talk about and learn about is grace. I love the idea of grace, Um, and it reminds me so often of the need I have for salvation, but understanding grace reminds me often of how little I deserve it, and Hmm. because of that knowledge, it just puts me back, back in that circle of improving my doxology, because there's nothing I want more after just meditating on that grace that I've been given than to worship the God who saw me in the utmost depravity that I could just, I could not get any lower. And God was like, I'm going to still extend grace to you Mm -hmm. and I'm going to choose you and I'm going to draw you to myself. And it's such a beautiful picture of just his character Mm. and the grace he shows. Um, so yeah, that's just a few glimpses. Um, the last one I have here is the more I understand Christ and the more I understand the gospel, the more I want sanctification in my own life. Mm. Because like I said, with everything else in this little rant I've had, grace and understanding God's character makes me want to be like him. And Mm. that's what we're called to be. We're called to pick up our cross and follow him daily in Luke 9, 23, Galatians it's 220. I've been crucified with Christ. Is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life mm-hmm. I now live, I live in. I can't remember the rest of it. Yeah, there's a. Erin's right there with her Bible and she's loving to pull it out. The life I now live, I live in faith, I think. I don't know. It's 220. 220? Yeah. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Exactly. And just, like, that causes me to want to be like Christ all the more. I did memorize that verse once upon a time. Once upon a time. I took Nav 220, I don't know how many times, or I think that's what it is. I took that Bible study several times before I even became Christian. So I know that verse well. But yeah, so those are just some reasons in my mind that make theology just so much more precious to me mm-hmm. because it causes me to just be in awe and mm. know a God I love just that much more. It's funny because you talked about how I have the objective approach, approach and you mm-hmm. have the subjective approach, but we said basically the same We thing. did. We just... Just with different... Different words. A different facet of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Oh, man. I feel so encouraged by that. I don't know. Everybody probably thinks that we're absolutely scatterbrained. Oh, so scatterbrained. Because there's just so much that could be said. Oh, man. We could just basically just go read the whole Bible. And and that's why we love theology. That's why we love theology. Boom. 
Yeah. It's true. Well, like, I, I thought of while you were talking there that um, I have it open now. Uh, mm. Hebrews 4, verse 12, mm. which says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of mm-hmm. spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions yeah. of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Mm-hmm. And I remember a while ago I read that verse. The, the word of God is living and active. And I was like, living and active. I mean, it's new every day. And I know it's new every day. And I know all that. I'll never stop reading my Bible. But it was at a time that I had become apathetic to my Bible reading. And I didn't, and I felt like I knew it all. And mm-hmm. I was like, I know I don't know it all. I know I don't. I, mm-hmm. I know that's, but I felt like I did. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, what are we going to do with this? And so I read the book of Hebrews for a year. I studied it Ooh. for a year intensely mm. so every day i studied the same 13 chapters yikes and it was did you write a book no i should though because it was should. glorious and i'd read that it is now my favorite book the book of hebrews for anyone who knows me they're just laughing because everyone knows that because anytime the bible comes up i'll probably have a verse from hebrews ready to go because i every basi- time basically memorized it it's so good so i i knew that the more i learn the less I know. I don't mm-hmm. know which philosopher said that. Probably not a Christian one. But Probably I, not. I, I agree with that statement. The more I learn, the less I know. So There's just always more to learn. And once you learn about how much more there is to learn, the less that you actually know mm-hmm. about what you've learned. <laughs> if that makes any sense. So I was like, okay, I want to learn more about God. Mm-hmm. And now I've got, after that intense study of Hebrews, I can say that I know less about it than when I started. Because I thought I knew about it when I started. And now I'm just like, wow, there is so much about this book that I don't know. And I could still keep reading it for the rest of my life. I could read the same book for the rest of my life. And I would still be finding new things in it because the word of God is living and active. And he is living and active. And so the more I learn about him, the less I know. And that makes me want to learn more. And then the less I know. And then Mm -hmm. that makes me want to learn more. It's just this ongoing, beautiful cycle of, yeah, of just trying to learn more about God and trying to grasp something about mm-hmm. him. And it is a, a beautiful, beautiful chase. Not, ch- I don't know, not like Pursuit. I chased him down. Pursuit, thank you. It's like, what is, what is the word I'm looking for? Pursuit. Pursuit of God. Great book. Yeah. Little Tozer. I love that book. Ah, anyways. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. I feel like if we get talking again on theology... We're going to miss brunch. We're going to miss brunch. <laughs> That would be problematic, seeing as I have to serve brunch this morning. You get to serve brunch. <laughs> I this get morning. to serve brunch this morning. Yeah, it's my right. favorite food, favorite breakfast food. That's a fun fact. I'm so excited about brunch. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyway, wow, mm-hmm. that has been a blessing to talk about. Honestly. So speaking of theology, mm-hmm. I have a really stupid question for you, Pam. Can 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 God create a rock that He can't lift? Shout out to Travis Johnson, who asked us that in our first year theology class. <laughs> and just the look of disdain on Pam's face is glorious. So, can God create a rock that he can't lift? Get lost, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all we have for you today on It's Not an Allegory. We hope that it's been a blessing. We hope so. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that question wasn't. I hope I'm, I'm not sick Next time we record, mm-hmm. so you don't Probably have to listen be. to me sniffle and cough. Yeah. But join us next time where Pam and I will be talking about 
Christmas. <laughs> Why Pam hates it and Aaron loves it. Yeah. And it's going to be a good time. It's be great. Get ready to hear us argue about Christmas. Get ready for some sarcasm and seething words and, I don't know, maybe the loss of a friendship. We don't know. We'll we don't find know. out. Probably getting called a Grinch <laughs> at least once. At least once. <laughs> Anyway, be blessed in the most chaotic way possible. And enjoy your coffee. See you.